Welcome into episode 10. We have now officially hit double digits of legal fiction. Uh, I'm your host, Joe, joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how was your past couple weeks? Uh, It's just been awful, man. Uh, And then I went, had to go and lose my earbuds, uh, which is like... You're like AirPods? Yeah, my AirPods. So like my phone is... Like, you know, with all of my music and podcasts, it's 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 useless because <laughs> A, uh, Apple in their infinite fucking wisdom got rid of the audio port so you could actually plug in a you know now it's coming one. back on the new one too, isn't it? Like now oh, they're switching from oh. the lightning like back or something, I think I I read. Well, damn it, the market maybe the market works because uh I'm not, I know I'm not alone in being frustrated with that shit. Not to say I didn't like earbuds or earpods, airpods, but uh you know, shit, man. Like <laughs> those go missing. It's like, well, this phone just lost 70, 80% of its purpose, right? Oh, now. yeah. I mean, I, I totally get the business model, but it's such a bitch where you're like, if you lose that or you lose even just uh, actual earbuds, you're like, I have to go to the Apple store to get these because nothing else will work with them. Yeah. And they'll only cost you like a hundred bucks. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. like, whereas uh, listener if you lose your airpods i mean if back in the day you could just go get like a shitty 12 dollar pair of you know earphones to plug in so you could listen to our shitty podcast it's a wonderful <laughs> little system we had but but they're coming back so that's interesting doesn't do me much fucking good now but uh, uh i think that's the height of my trauma for these last few weeks but uh you're moving and so that sucks yeah so i mean this isn't a video podcast but if you would you would see that i'm like uh still surrounded by boxes and i'm almost there i'll be moving everything next week fully moved in and then it's just going to be like weeks and weeks and weeks of being like "Ah, i'll just put this box in that room and get to it when i get to it Mm -hmm. yeah man moving blows never need to move again right i'm never moving again never moving again (laughs) moving like in the last like three years moving every year i'm like fuck this never moving again but yeah, also with my past week, um, moving into some of our semi-entertainment news, I actually watched uh, The Suicide Squad last weekend, I want to say is when it dropped, on like Why? Friday or something, I think. It's Why? on HBO Max, so I was like, you know what, I'll, get, I'll this is easy, I don't have to like go anywhere to watch it. Cause I'm no, you're answering, gonna... the, you're answering the how and the what, <laughs> you're not answering the why. Why did you watch that shit? And I, you might hate me, I liked it. I thought it was actually enjoyable. It doesn't take itself as seriously as like the dumbass Marvel ones do, in my opinion. Like it knows that it's like a dumb superhero movie. There's some stuff that I think is like they almost go too far in that direction where it's okay. becoming like almost too stupid. Overall, like I, I liked it. I, I, I do have some issues with James Gunn and like his like sort of just his like style. Sometimes I, I think it gets a little overdone, but I liked it a lot. Taika Waititi made an appearance in it, which is nice, but hmm. I I really want him to stop doing superhero stuff so he can get back to doing like what we do in the shadows type stuff. But mm-hmm. I totally understand um, getting that bag. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, you know, pivoting from that though, uh, sad news broke on Twitter like a week or so ago, man. Um, I- Trevor Moore died, the famed comedian of the whitest kids you know. And uh, co-star of the 2007 <laughs> flop, uh, Miss March. Uh, 41, though, man. That's a real bummer. 
Like, I yeah, didn't realize and, he was that young. And I didn't look too far into it to see, like, if it was mm-hmm. some, you know, su- something sudden or some disease, whatever. It's obviously just a tragic event. Miss mm-hmm. March, though, maybe I just saw it at the right time in my life. Because it's definitely a movie that I think if I went back and watched, I'd be like, ooh, this is, this is pretty bad. <laughs> but oh. as at the age when I watched it, I was just like, this is hilarious. This is awesome. Like, I thought it was really funny. And I don't know if I was just at the sweet spot because then later I like saw the critic score and I was like, damn, people hated this movie. Which makes me want to re- rewatch it uh, and <laughs> see it because honestly, Joe, I suffer from the same thing. Like I loved that movie because I was a big Whitest Kids You Know and specifically Trevor Moore fan. Like, mm-hmm. And I was lucky. I actually saw a pre-screener of it. They were oh, like, I, yeah, I was a... Yeah, in undergrad, they came to our campus and at a small like indie theater, they put on a free show and you had to like, and uh, to our surprise, it was hosted by Trevor Moore and his co-star. Uh, they were just there and they just worked the crowd beforehand and then afterhand and did a and a what worked, what didn't like. Uh, and I mean, that probably may have biased my enjoyment of the movie, but <laughs> I mean, it was stupid and I'm sure I'm certain it's super offensive by modern sensibilities. Oh, I'm it's sure. A, yeah. It's been, it's yeah. like what mid two thousands movie. 2007. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of when the worm started to turn against raunchy for the sake of raunchy. And it's like, no, there are consequences to some of these jokes, guys. And you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the funniest gag bar none and is like in that movie, Trevor Noah or Trevor Morris, Jesus, Trevor Noah, uh, is Trevor Moore's <laughs> uh, just utter disdain for firefighters <laughs> and how it's they're, like they're crazy. Unquote, they're psychopaths. No, you don't understand. They're crazy. And then they are, in fact, throughout the movie, crazy. Uh, like, you know, six years removed from 9-11, that was a refreshing <laughs> take just to have someone just go out there and be like, no, these guys are nuts. They will throw an ax through your car door. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, his... Like, obviously, like I said, it's a tragedy and just made me go back and watch some of the old skits, like the news conference when like they discover bears on the moon, like moon bears, bears. did, did we invade like Iraq or something? And he's like, you got me. All right. right. (laughs) To the bar drinks on me. Like, uh, so good. So funny. Yep. Uh, speaking of things that young Joe uh, enjoyed and uh, Candyman is now going to release, I believe next week, provided that the Delta variant doesn't shut down theaters again, which kind of looking like right now with how many new cases we're getting every day, but it is scheduled to release. It was supposed to release all the way back in 2020. Um, it is, I believe, directed at least somewhat involved with uh, Jordan Peele. Um, and I'm hyped because oh. that was one of my favorite scary movies as a kid. It scared Same. the shit out of me. Oh, like, the first I one's was a masterpiece. Terrified. Yeah. Oh, no, no, Candyman one, and I'm a huge fan of Candyman too. Actually, uh, uh, is that like Farewell to the, to the flesh? flesh? Farewell to the Flesh. Yeah, it takes place in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, I think it's even better than the original, which it's not. I mean, objectively, the first one's better, <laughs> but the second one I found way more enjoyable and scarier too. Oh yeah, no, the the first one, and and just also because like. I, f- I forget the name of the the housing project in Chicago that it takes. Caprini Green. Caprini Green. It's like a real housing project. Like it was. Yeah, it's, it's since been demolished, but like it's like there's like real shit that they're talking about in that movie. 
but yeah so it is yeah written by jordan peele i was looking it up here directed is the by... original Candyman involved tony todd uh it says that he will star as Candyman. um it also the main character is i'm gonna butcher his name but i've seen him a ton uh yaya abdul mateen uh who's been in a lot of stuff so far he was also bobby seal in the trial of the chicago seven Maybe oh, people okay. might recognize him from that too. Okay. So yeah. a guy who's definitely coming up, but something that I'm hyped to see. So knock on wood that people will wear their goddamn masks and take their goddamn shots so that I can go see a movie in a theater again. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not holding out. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that one, buddy. I think you're going to be streaming that thing in a few weeks. So but don't worry. We can trust people to do the right thing, right? Yeah, we, we, yes. It, I, any student of history will tell, especially of American history, can tell that you can definitely trust your average American to do the right fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know if you've been following the Britney Spears case, but I just saw the update that her dad has agreed to step down as conservator. Yeah. So does she? So is it over? I, I don't know if that just means another conservator's going to come, um, or if it's going to end. Whatever it is, all I know is is that Britney is back taliban is back so it must be 2003 again and i'm just waiting for the next nickelback album to drop i mean jesus look at this oh, I, I almost oh, yeah. nope cut that cut that oh. <laughs> that hurt. that physically hurt doing a chad kroger physically hurt uh. uh another thing that physically hurts what the fuck am i going to do with my cuomo sexual shirt uh, hold on to that, baby. That's a collector's item. Okay. <laughs> uh, I th- listen. Do not give in to this new trend of anti-Italian American erasure. <laughs> I'm not okay? perverted. I'm just Italian. Yeah. Listen. That was a first, real headline. First, they come for Cuomo. Then they're gonna come for Mario. <laughs> Before you know it, there's not gonna be a Columbus Day. I'm just. You know, this is. Uh, it, it boggles the mind, uh, you know, how so many otherwise intelligent people can be so upset about this. I just, I just, I just can't figure. Yeah. Oh, so. oh, wait. He, he systemically uh, sexually harassed and potentially assaulted like dozens of women, including staff members, over the course of many years. Yeah. Okay. Here's what's really fucked up about that is like, okay, yes, the guy was clearly a jerk. Uh, and obviously a bully politician, you don't become the mayor of New York. Hell, you're not a Cuomo if you're not governor. That. That's yeah, or sorry, governor. He's a Cuomo. I mean, he comes from a political heritage of being a New York politics bully. Yeah. But what but you know, his decisions that, you know, in directly or indirectly led to the deaths of tens of thousands of elderly in nursing homes in the state of New York like, to start the government. Like that, that won't get you in any hot water but you know like being a little uh too just fucking pathetic and like lonely and like just like dude looking for companionship like that though that rouses everyone to rally around and like uh, i don't know i'm not defending him i'm just saying to the pr person that okayed his explanation video where he's like no, no, no. You don't get it. I touch everyone. It's like, dude, I just have to... <laughs> dude, you're doing the thing! You're doing the thing! <laughs> Stop! I just I have to imagine, like, any right-minded PR person would be like, not the direction to go. Probably. Yeah. 
maybe it was unorthodox approach to say the least to uh, you know to crisis management. <laughs> Normally, it's deny or distance uh, or distinguish. He, however, uh, took a zag where most zig and decided to dive right into it, which was a bold strategy. You know, maybe that works out for. Him. Shit, I mean, he was he was kind of dead to rights. So, you know what? Swing for the fences, buddy. Maybe everyone will just kind of be like, yeah, you know what? Me too. This <laughs> fucking guy. Uh, I tell you, he did not l- lose any support from Staten Island cops. Right? <laughs> which, I, which I repeat myself, everyone in Staten Island is a fucking cop. Moving out of legal news and into the, the movie of the week, uh, already seen from the title, this week, we are talking about a John Grisham classic, A Time to Kill. You got a daughter, Jake. What would you do? I figure it's a lot of people out there tired of all the raping, killing. They'd be sympathetic to a man who took the law in his own hand. Even if he is black. Our society cannot condone men who take the law into their own hands, no matter what the circumstance. How do you wish to be? Not guilty, Your Honor. Yeah, you sure you want to be known as the man that defended that murderer? Why well, toss away a promising career? I'd really like to help you with the trial. Have you ever seen a man executed? What I suggest you do is you go watch a man be executed. You watch him die, you watch him beg. I don't like your politics, but you do have passion, and that's something Carl Lee needs right now, and maybe so do I. If you was on that jury, what would it take? set me free you sat me down and you said to me what i can offer you is a chance to save the world one case at a time he's taking justice out of your hands and put it in his own tell them boys we need some clan down here in camp we've been getting calls at home threats your marriage is on the rocks you're about to have an affair lately you've become much more interested in getting your face on the news than what's going on with your own family don't let those bastards grind you down I set out to prove a black man could receive a fair trial. That's not the truth. So until that day, we have a duty to seek the truth, not with our minds, but with our hearts. Do you think he was crazy when he did it? No, he wasn't crazy. When I saw that blood, I got so scared because I thought that was you. Drop the case. I quit now and all this for nothing. No. You waited all our lives on this. You think the jury should convict Carl Lee Haley? Objection! Turn him loose! Do you think they deserve to die, Mr. Haley? Answer the question. Do they deserve deserve to die? Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell! All right, baby. This uh, this is one of the big ones. This is what we've been working up for, listeners. <laughs> I mean, we're hitting the we're hitting the good stuff of legal cinema. All right, this is one of the heavy hitters. Obviously, it's a Grisham. This sets the standard. All right, yes. but does it hold up? We'll see. Yeah. So this is and this is one of the few Grishams that I had actually seen before. So this was a rewatch for me to refresh myself. And so just jumping right into the plot. Um, it starts right off uh, into the plot. We meet, is it Billy Ray Cobb and James Willard, who mm-hmm. are your, you know, stereotypical Southern racist, good old boys driving yeah. around, throwing uh, 
full cans of beer at people smashing bottles, just bottles straight well, they, up glass <laughs> yeah they smashed it. i was like dude that was like a full thing of whiskey like now you have to go buy more they go buy like just a shit ton of beer uh from this and very quickly they run into tanya on the road knock her out they beat her rape her and then attempt to hang and kill her when that doesn't work they just throw her into the river, I think is what it is, or throw her somewhere, basically. Uh, she is later found by uh, some someone I can't remember. So her father, Samuel Jackson, finds her. Uh, he gets called off work, comes home to see her. And uh, at the same time, the sheriff, Carly... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Carly is uh, Samuel Jackson. The mm-hmm. sheriff, uh, Ozzy Walls played by charles s dutton uh, definite a definitive that guy yes uh he goes and arrests billy ray and james oh just awesomely too like i mean if you name like like approach 10 year old spencer all right think of an evil character in uh, in the south that well they're gonna be really like scraggly looking white Coated in sweat, long hair, just generally trailer trashy, rednecky, uh, spit a lot, drink and curse, uh, and and drop racial epithets uh, like they're breathing. Yeah, and guess what? That, that's what you get. It's 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 a caricature that works. Yeah, it's it's very much a caricature. It's like what I wrote down in my notes. Like some people think like this is like the only type of racist that exists is like you have to be this kind of person. <laughs> basically, you know what I mean? Yep. And for a while, everyone thought that. I think. Yeah, it's so. like, this is the only way you can be racist is like if you just straight up always are dropping racial slurs. I wrote down in my notes, did air conditioning just not exist in 1996? Because throughout this movie, everyone is just glistening no matter it's, what building they're in. It's the sweatiest movie <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. It, it, there were some decisions made, but like the book takes place in like the early 80s. Uh, yeah. So like narratively you could understand why how in the early 80s miss most of mississippi which is dirt fucking poor uh just generally in terms of infrastructure even though they are the ones who most need air conditioning were some of the last ones to get it yeah so and this is like very small kind of middle of nowhere mississippi right is where it's like, supposed to take place as opposed to the bustling <laughs> as opposed to progressive like Oxford parts of or Jackson. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, yeah, no. This is like a, just a small, doesn't really seem like a Delta part of Mississippi. Seems, uh, well, you know, it's much wider for one thing. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, but yeah, just sort of a made up fictional County seat in Mississippi. Yeah. It's just, I think it's James Willard is the one who's just like, he's the one who's a little bit somewhat more like scared of what's going to happen to him in prison um Uh, rightfully so oh yeah yeah Uh, sexual assaulters really don't do well in prison a throw in a racial dynamic to it well and throw in that she's only 12 years old oh yeah buddy which for the record like this movie if you haven't watched listener like it can be a little graphic it can be a little oh, that's, dramatic. The opening scene yeah. is hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. And uh, it's it's not done with a lot really on screen. It's done with a lot of quick cuts and flashes, mm-hmm. but it's still like, you know exactly what's happening. Well, the, the audio is really, yeah, is uh, blaring. You don't, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's effective filmmaking too. Yeah. You know, it'll, it allows your imagination to 
do the worst parts, I guess. Yeah. So at the same time, we're introduced to our main character, Jake Brigance, played by Matthew McConaughey. What a hunk. <laughs> I looked it up. He was like 25, 26 when they filmed I, this. I'd buy it. I think like this is like the beginning of his career. I mean, this oh, is yeah. what this made one of him. His- this is what made him an it guy. Like this was his like, oh shit, Matthew McConaughey, leading man. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's no Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but no, still. but like, like legit. Like, I mean, it's like he had a walk a couple speaking lines in Dazed and Confused, a cult classic, just like two years before this, and suddenly he's anchoring, you know, a yeah, best-selling so- novel. Yeah, so he had he had been in just like a handful. I'm looking at his filmography. He had just been in a handful of movies before this, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation, which also starred Renee Zellweger. And I think actually that movie got delayed because they tried to like capitalize on McConaughey's stardom now from this movie, and Mm -hmm. it became a whole legal battle. I kind of I vaguely recall that coming out after this. Actually, I, I think it got it. delayed. Like I think it got yeah. filmed before, but, but then they're like, "Wait, he's famous now. Now let's release this." But anyway, back to the movie. So we meet Jake Brigance. He is a solo practitioner. Uh, he has a friend who doesn't practice with him, played by Oliver Platt, known as Harry King. Rex in the King. movie. <laughs> and he's just like he's like this pure Southern like scum, but like gentleman at the same mm-hmm. time. And he's a divorce Heart, lawyer. Uh, yeah, just a hard-drinking miscreant, uh, wise-ass, uh, but capable, uh, clearly, like, will do almost anything for his clients, but at the same time, he does it with a degree of charm. Yeah, like, it's likable. Uh, yeah. Oliver Platt's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we also meet Jake Brigance's wife, played by Ashley Judd, who, <laughs> queen. Um, <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. And Carl Lee actually comes to Jake Brigance's office because Jake had defended his brother in the past. So they, they kind of know each other and mm-hmm. he basically, he doesn't say it, but he basically lays it out for him. Like I'm going to probably do something to these guys. Cause he asked them like, what's going to happen. And they're like, well, they're going to go get a hearing. And he's like, you know, do you think they'll, how much will they get? And he's like, probably not that much punishment time. And he's like, well, what if it was your daughter, what would you do? Or do something, yeah. I mean, it, it's vague enough. Uh, yeah, and then, which leads us to our first, like, legal quandary or, like, legal aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, Jake, were you supposed to say something here? Uh, because he goes home and, you know, he he's tells his a- wife that he did. At first, first mistake, first yeah. mistake, first fucking mistake, because she won't let him forget that as yeah. the movie goes on. Like, uh, but... I don't know. Jake does, or uh, Jake, <laughs> Joe, uh, <laughs> d- does uh, Jake Brigance have a duty to go tell the sheriff that he thinks Carl Haley might do something? Because, you know, for one, because okay, so, like, non law types, like, you have a duty uh, yeah. to a client to, like, keep shit confidential. You're only allowed to ever breach that in the event that you are like reasonably certain that they are going to do something that's going to hurt or kill someone. And then depending on whatever rule of professional conduct you're under, maybe commit like a serious crime. So like, it's like, there is a duty, but on the other end of that, technically he's not his client. So that's the biggest thing with me is like, he's just talking to him. He's not his mm-hmm. client or anything right now. So there's, there's no real duty. And you could argue that it's vague enough that like he's like 
you know, I get it. He's a dad who's angry in this situation. Like anyone would go off and say they want to do something, but Mm -hmm. you can't be certain that he actually is. But it turns out um, that Carl Lee is going to do something because Mm -hmm. the next morning when they uh, bring the boys in for their preliminary hearing, they're going to get their bail set. It's just going to be like a very short thing. Uh, Everyone's there to watch. Uh, Billy Ray Cobb's mom and brother played by Kiefer Sutherland, uh, which I thought was funny in this movie that Kiefer Mm -hmm. and Donald are both in the movie and they're very opposite of each other. I hadn't appreciated that fact or literally connected to them in the half dozen times I'd watched this before watching this. I'm like, well, now to wait just a fucking minute here. <laughs> like, yeah. So they're all watching Jake and Oliver uh, or Harry are all both there just to watch this go down. Uh, there was a short scene in the beginning where they don't show Carl Lee breaking into the courthouse, but they show someone coming up to the courthouse. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Carl Lee just busts out of a, janitor's closet or something with a ar whatever i don't get mad like i don't know guns um i think that was an m16 joe and I think that was an m16 he just unloads on on the two boys he kills both of them and wounds i believe his name in the movies Dwayne looney played by chris cooper another awesome actor yeah yeah and Hurts him real bad. Uh, he asked him later, he's like, did I hurt him? Like, bad. And he's like, you basically blew his knee off his leg. And he's like, shit. Carl Lee is, he goes back home because they show up to his house and arrest him. He meets with Jake in the cell. And at, at first I didn't know if he actually was going to demand a fee because he's like, all right, this would cost 50 grand. And he's like, I can do maybe 10 and then he goes outside and they're like, are you his lawyer? And he's like, yeah, I am. But there's been no like, okay, I'll pay you. I'll take that much. I'm like, is he doing this pro bono? <laughs> yeah. The, and his struggling law practice, he, you know, as the movie makes clear, like he can't really afford to do that. No, uh, like the, she, his secretary keeps having <laughs> to like push the electric company away because they want to turn off the lights on them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's tight uh, being a small practice. I mean, mm-hmm. shit. Uh, so we're then introduced to the prosecutor, played by Kevin Spacey. Uh, so uh, you know what? I, hot take. I think the modern cringe factor to Kevin Spacey actually. Oh, it plays into this role. <laughs> it actually helps with this. Where I mean, when you're looking for a opportunistic you know vaguely evil prosecutor looking to use the prosecution of a black man for the revenge killing of two white men to like as a leap pet leaping or as a as a launching pad uh to become governor like this this works it's uh, yeah he's very good at yeah like you said almost being that like machiavellian like person and I, i wrote down in my notes i was like is he supposed to be racist or is he just supposed to be like, I know what I can use in this state basically to get what I want. I took him as not being old school racist, obviously. I mean, shit, everyone in this movie is a little goddamn racist. Uh, Yeah. yeah. But uh, (laughs) I took it as just sort of a, no, he's beyond that. He just knows how to exploit racism, which is different. I, I, that's what I was like, is he racist or just exploitative? And I was like, Ah, they're both bad. So um, <laughs> uh, we then 
hear that it's been assigned to Judge Noose, which I was like, is that the name from the book too? Because yes, that's yes. I don't like that. That's a some, little like first some, drafty to me. Some say he's a hanging judge, Joe. Uh, I was just like, come on, <laughs> really? You got to name him that? No, uh, I love it. I love that, and it's played by uh, James Ma- McGonagall McGugan. James McGugan. That's right. Yeah. Pat Patrick McGugan. Uh, Patrick McGugan, uh, who I think most people remember him as Longshanks from Braveheart, the evil English king in that. Uh, so like whenever I watch this, I just like, I'm like, oh, it's Judge Longshanks noose. Like <laughs> it's great because it, it is truly the same character, just a yes. different outfit. So we also meet uh, Donald Sutherland, who is a like a famous civil rights attorney who was disbarred. Uh, because he punched a cop for breaking a picket line at a union protest, which I was like, this dude just sounds like the man, like one of those dudes who's just like is hated, but like, it's just like, no, nah, I know I'm fighting for the right reason. Like back in the day. Hell yeah. So he, and he's like an alcoholic too. He's always severely. Drinking. So severe. Yeah. I, that is next level drunk. Like <laughs> they are walking around in the middle of Mississippi. heat. He, he's got an overcoat like walking his grounds. He's got a drink of, you know, scotch, it looks like in hand, but he's also carrying the bottle of scotch in the other. Like he can't he just, be yeah, bothered. He just keeps refreshing himself. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he can't be bothered. Like, all right, let's go for a walk. I'll take my one scotch. No, I'm going to bring the bottle. Like that is some next level drunk, dude. Yeah. So he, he gives this whole world, like uh, this whole line, you could save the world one case at a time, which I was like, that might be something like it's it's a bit idealistic, but for someone like Donald Sutherland, his position, I think it's definitely something that they do believe and do work towards. Um, but I do think it's also a thing that a lot of people believe when they go to law school and then they find mm-hmm. out that that's not really the case. Uh, at the same time, we're flipped back over to Kiefer Sutherland. So we go from civil rights dad to extremely racist son. Um, <laughs> and he is at his brother's uh, funeral and he's just like, it's terrible that you know, black people are getting more rights and getting more representation in our country. So one of his friends is like, uh, I got a contact. You used to be in the clan. We could contact them. He's like, all right, let's do that. Um, they also mention in this case, obviously uh, Kevin Spacey mentions they will be seeking the death penalty. Mm-hmm. which I think that's kind of his, like you mentioned, like his opportunistic where he wants to do that. Cause he knows that that's what the, the public wants to see a body out of this basically. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, damn, man, you don't, do you really need to seek the death penalty here? But, and, uh, and the ga- and, and old school death penalty too, gas chamber. Like, yeah. Yeah. The gas some, chamber. Yeah. No one really does that shit anymore. Uh, because it's questionably cruel and or uh, unusual. Uh, now we just, you know, load people up with a drug cocktail that may or may not cause excruciating pain in their last dying minutes where they're paralyzed and can't do anything. Yeah, or sometimes it. it just doesn't work. Or, or, or that. <laughs> Woo! That's an oopsie. <laughs> we get a do-over. <laughs> uh, so they, he enters a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. And they, I don't know if it, did they say in the movie temporary insanity or just insanity? Just insanity. I, okay. The argument later becomes that he was temporarily insane, which, okay. which you know, I can relate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I get those flashes all the time. 
then there, the, I do like this. I really like this courtroom scene where they're, it's not exactly how a court would go, but there's like funny motions and banter back and forth where like they're almost like denying each other's motions, Spacey and uh, McConaughey back and forth with like the judge not even getting in yet. Um, the only thing I don't understand is why, why did the judge immediately want to deny the venue change? I didn't understand the need for that before he could just deny the actual. I, I, it was a cool because it kind of introduced uh, Sandra Bullock's character because she gives him the notes on like this. If you do, it's reversible on mm-hmm. uh, appeal. appeal. And so he's like, OK, fine. Submit me a brief. So I got it for that purposes. But I was just like, why would a judge immediately be like, no, if you even give me that motion? No. Uh, well, a, it, I mean, it's good characterization. It paints true, him as a, true. as a probably out for this defendant racist, et cetera, et cetera. Or like, he's just another villain that the good guy is going to have to overcome. But from a legal position, it's like, no, this is my courtroom. I'm, I am the court. I, the judge of this community, this district or circuit, and it's here. Uh, the murderer was here. So give me a good fucking reason to change. No, I'm not changing venue. I know what you're up to. I mean, the theory being, like, if they change venue, they can get it into a blacker county and increase Carly Haley's odds of a favorable jury. And the judge is like, yeah, tough shit. Ultimately denies the motion, even after he gives them the opportunity to file it in an ex parte meeting with Jake Brigance, by the way. Uh, He's just like, yeah, go on up to the judge's uh, balcony where he's just painting leisurely. And it's just like, oh, yes, Mr. Brigance, I'll be denying your motion. Oh, oh, and uh, don't worry, I, I spoke with the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and he seemed to think that he would uphold any challenge of my decision. It's just like, I mean, you can't do that nowadays. Oh, no, maybe, no. maybe in the 80s or 90s in Mississippi, there's a little bit more gray area for that to happen. You can't do that. And uh, his it, reasoning, too, is like, yeah, this country, this county would probably be racially biased against him. But every county around here is going to be racially biased, so it's as which, fair as you're going to get. Which is not a terrible point. Like, I mean, to to divest the court of its own jurisdiction on this, it's not a bad argument. Uh, we then more in depth meet Sandra Bullock's character, Ellen Rourke. She's like apparently the daughter of some famous attorney. Says like attorney for the stars. She introduces herself while. Uh, Jake Brigance is going to turn in his motion to change venue, which is ultimately denied. Uh, she's a big fucking nerd too, mm-hmm. because she's like, mm, I was, I'm editor of the law review. I'm this in my class. I'm like, shut up, shut up. I don't care. Cause it's like, really, it's really hard hearing just how smart and perfect someone is when they look like Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you gotta have like, one fucking mess up. Come on. My God. Do you kill like, dogs or something because they're like it's gotta be something wrong with you right we then meet another uh recognizable face is it what's his real name i forget i just know red foreman from the 70s show apparently runs the kkk um yeah that's a a good casting call (laughs) like i mean he's not on screen for long yeah but no uh so he basically says you get people Friends of yours involved, we'll start up a chapter in your area. He's like, okay. Uh, at the same time, Carl Lee then goes to meet with Chris Cooper at the hospital and tells him sorry. He does basically admit that he was not crazy. He knew what he was doing, and but he didn't mean to hurt him. Uh, we do yeah. also. Yeah. 
we do also learn that they they're like not i wouldn't say friends but they've known each other since they were kids like they went to school together all this stuff it's a small fucking community yeah everyone yeah. knows everyone to a degree like people are gonna go back which is actually an aspect of this story i kind of like is that everyone does kind of know everyone like it just uh makes it more intimate and sad yeah so we then see the first instance of an attack from the kkk on the brigances to intimidate them they let a cross on fire on their lawn they get tipped off to it though by mickey mouse who's mickey mouse it's mickey mouse guy who kind of shows up throughout the movie he's basically like a kkk member with a slight conscience because he tips them off to these certain things listen i only joined for the networking opportunities (laughs) uh you know what the the... i just i needed like organizations on my resume they said i need to just get out in my community it was the first booth all right well, the wife told me to get out of the house and to, to you know, pimp up a hobby uh, and, you know, couldn't argue with the social calendar. The sheets, uh, well, bit cumbersome, bit ill-fitting at first, at first. <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, uh, they, they get out of the house. Um, at the, then we, uh, we get us another thing where the NAACP wants to hire their own defense team to defend Carl Lee. They talk to the pastor. They basically say, you can enrich yourself because you'll take an administration fee from the funds that we raise to defend Carl Lee. They bring in this legal team, which uh, is a another appearance by the Kraus von Espy from our last movie, uh, In Intolerable Cruelty, the guy who plays that uh, uh concierge is this now fancy attorney who wants to defend carl lee mm-hmm. he he's they're prepared to take seven thousand dollars and brigance is like well one you shouldn't meet with my client because i'm his attorney two is this really a case you care about or is this just to go on your basically resume of famous people that you've defended and yeah you lost but it's something you can you know put a notch on your belt and then carl lee calls out the pastor he's like so all this money that you take in any of it gonna go to my wife and kids because you know they're not making any money right now which basically just calls out the the church for being corrupt which i was shocked i've never heard of a church being corrupt well and it puts the naacp (laughs) the task too uh oh yeah obviously it's a venerable and accomplished organization but it nonetheless it's a political organization and it kind of like challenged them like you know, maybe my defense is not best aligned with your cause, if that makes sense. Like you have something more to gain by me losing and making a very interesting record uh, and maybe making some PR out of it out of, as opposed to like, no, I, I want to not go to the gas chamber. Like that, that's it. Yes. Uh, like I'm not looking to make a political statement. I just want to be alive. Uh, so he says no, but he says that money you raised it can go to anyone I want. Right. And they're like, all right, it's going to go to Jake. So he keeps Jake and he just basically finesses them to pay for his legal fund. It was a shakedown, man. And it was a good one too. That that was, it was kind of a beautiful, like, uh, like, you know, uh, sugar and sweet, good cop, bad cop between Jake and Carl Lee. Like they, they hustled them and played off each other. It was great. Like, one of um, the next scenes that we see is another attack on the house. And I'm just going to say right now, it is my least favorite scene in this movie. 
when the guy brings a bomb to the house and oh this sucked they like pop out and they punch him and he's like it's ticking and he's like you gotta turn off and he's like it starts ringing and he just turns and throws it far enough away to blow up in the air i was like stop stop yeah first of all you had options there it was ticking there was a clock on there you could kind of like you know what you could do just close the box and walk it over to a ditch or run it over to the ditch i don't care and then just leave it there and then make sure no one comes up until it does blow okay instead fucking old miss law grad jake Bergantz, uh pulls the dynamite from the detonating device and yeah. the, the clock and then just throws it i mean it's stupider than the bomb tech uh, the bomb defusal technique and lethal weapon two where they're like <laughs> all right well we're gonna have about a second or two to hop into this iron tub that made more sense than this <laughs> it was it's just so dumb because i'm like this bomb was designed to blow up the entire home but he can throw it far enough away that they just see a like bright light and none of them get hurt i was like that's dumb yeah. took out a nice tree though <laughs> so i gonna be pissed about that so he and at this point he's sent his wife and kids away because of the danger obviously and we get more into the relationship now between mcconaughey's character and bullock's character where she's working for him for free she's a law student at this time still doing research and everything for him for free. And there's just obviously very real sexual tension between them. Um, yep. He takes her to a restaurant and <laughs> there's a scene where she's like, do you believe in the death penalty? He's like, yep, we should use it more. And I wrote down my notes. I'm like, well, he is from Texas. So mm -hmm. that does kind of track. Uh, yeah. he's, he's like, I'm a liberal, but we should hang people out in front of the courthouse still. And I was like, well, and <laughs> mind you, that's a relic of uh, the, the book. That back and forth in the book is a relic of from the 80s, and the movie is a relic from the 90s. The death penalty was not near, it was much more, there was much more uh, sort of, it was much more half and half back then. I think it's actually, the needle on that's moved a lot over yeah, the years too sure. against it. Uh, but yeah, his... Uh, I'm a liberal. I'm a proud liberal. I'm just not a card carrying ACLU. Like, he's like radical, radical, which, you know what? You can just change the adjectives or organizations in there. And that still fits to today. So like, like they, uh, they then, um, they get into like the first day of trial. So we're actually a pretty decent way into the movie before we even see the trial. And at the first day of trial, there's a huge protest and counter protest outside and uh uh stump sisson red foreman shows up and he is not holding back on his feelings nope, on nope. african americans in his community nope. it turns into a huge brawl where all these kids just set stump up they kind of beat him up and push him into one area then they all move out kid on yeah. top just throws a molotov on him and he's dead he dies he, yeah and, and that to me i'm like I don't know, man. So like, okay, if the KKK one, like, okay, let, let's set the scene. Large black community outside the courthouse protesting free Carl Haley. Okay, cool, cool, gotcha. 
big group of KKK guys, like 50 guys in white sheets now reassembled and united here in Whatever'sville, Mississippi. I guess they, they hadn't franchised there recently, <laughs> so they're back. Uh, they come to counter protests. Cool. Cool. I get that. Brawl breaks out. Sure. Obviously, the cops, including Sheriff Charles S. Dutton, try to break it up. Uh, Charles S. Dutton Holmes gets killed and abandoned by one of his deputies. Yes, uh, who we see throughout the movie is actually a KKK sympathizer at, at the least, but a full-on member at the most, where he's like I'm, setting up stuff. And I'm shocked that a white cop would. <laughs> anyhow, uh, you know, like the brawl takes off. Like it's disturbing. Like it's brutal, man. Like people are getting hit with bats and people are pulling switchblades and all that kind of shit. Like that's fine. And yeah, you're right. They get the Grand Dragon, Red Foreman, dressed in red. Uh, you know, some, some kids knock him down and corner Which him. Which he said, he's wearing the disguise, and he goes, my name is Stump Sisson. I'm like, isn't the whole point of wearing the hood so people don't know who you are? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they handle that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like... I found the kids like beating him up and then some kid just like being like happened to have Molotov cocktail stuff ready to go. Well, and you know, you like, get oh, some, you get some high grain alcohol, some Everclear or 151, fill it up. I don't know. Like that just seemed like, I was just like, guys, this is, uh, I, I don't know. A little hard to believe. And if it's supposed sure, to be believable, sure, yeah. if it, and if it's supposed to be believable, then it's not a good look, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but and then they just drop it right on his ass. Uh, and, uh, Stump went down quick. Yep, He's not uh, in the movie for that long. Nope. Nope. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. Those are some nice garments. <laughs> though, I got to say, though, it doesn't seem to me that wearing a stupid looking pointy pillowcase on your head <laughs> would make you very combat effective. Oh, just no. saying. Oh, I'm just no. saying, like, 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 ooh, that's scary from a distance. But what's the hustling like what are you gonna do like yeah, oh. everyone everyone knows that the best thing to have in a fight is complete blinders around your yep, eyes yes. where you can't see anything coming i have a 12 degree range of vision <laughs> this works <laughs> like. uh so yeah like you mentioned the sheriff gets abandoned matthew mcconaughey jumps in and saves him he gets like sliced on the back of the leg uh which we have an, again some more like sexual tension basically is what it's for between him and sandra because she patches him up and he has to take his pants off for her to do it and mind you his wife has left town with the kid because of everything that's going on all the unrest and the threats she's pissed at her husband for taking on this case she's pissed at the danger he's put her in also just generalized dissatisfaction with the marriage which yeah i mean mean, it's like a it's a money problem it sounds like too where she's just like you mm -hmm. know he's not bringing in enough so that's cause you know tension already now she's like do you really care about this case or you just want to be a star so uh that well that is good that they're gone because then the next attack burns down the entire house i think they just throw a flaming cross on the lawn and just catches everything on fire yeah Um, i didn't i mean i guess it is a big piece of flaming wood but when i was like oh is that gonna do it i guess that did it yeah (laughs) um which you know we don't have to worried the dog is okay we do think that the dog has died but turns out that the dog is okay he was hiding somewhere and i guarantee you that even in the mid 90s that probably would have been the most controversial thing oh people uh, would have been up and, and be like they fucking killed a dog oh 
yeah, this is like, you realize multiple people are murdered and or like <laughs> raped in this movie. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the dog didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's making some assumptions, but okay. Yes. Uh, we then get on the stand, Billy Ray's mom, which she's a, she's another that dude. She's like a face that I see in a lot of movies. And she always she plays always- the same type of person. Yeah, that must be really wonderful. Like, hey, honey, they need a bartender in a movie set in the South, really like kind of like roadhouse situation. And she's got a little bit of a meth problem. You'd be perfect. She's like, I'm born to play that role. (laughs) That's me. We also learned that the jury is breaking a big rule and meeting outside of deliberations in the court and just saying, how are we going to vote? Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, we see that it's like, I think it's like seven guilty, four undecided, and one guy not guilty at yeah, this li- Big liberal, that guy. Yeah. Uh, we then, uh, Chris Cooper's character comes back, and we learn at this point that his half of his leg has had to have been amputated because of uh, the shooting. He mm-hmm. goes on the stand, and we get a cool scene where... Um, Carl Lee tells Matthew McConaughey, he's like, ask him if he thinks I deserve to go to jail for this or if I deserve to be punished for this. And he's like, you shot him. His leg is blown off. And he's like, ask him. Ask him if he thinks I'll go to jail. Carl Lee, they amputated his leg because you shot him. He's a witness for the prosecution. You my lawyer, ain't you? Yeah. Ask him. Your Honor, one question. Make up your mind, Mr. Brigham. Deputy Looney, do you think Carl Lee's shooting you was intentional? No, sir. It was an accident. Do you think he should be punished for shooting you? No, sir. I hold no ill will toward the man. He did what I would have done. What what do you mean by that, Deputy Looney? I mean, I don't blame him for what he did. Those boys raped his little girl. Objection, Your Honor. The witness's opinion on this matter is irrelevant. Your Honor, I believe Deputy Looney has earned the right to speak here today. Overruled. Continue. Go ahead, Dwayne. I got a little girl. Somebody rapes her. He's a dead dog. I'll blow him away just like Carl Lee did. Objection, Your Honor! Do you think the jury should convict Carl Lee Haley? Don't answer that question, Deputy. He's a hero. You turn him loose. Jury will disregard. You turn him loose! Your Honor, you silence that witness! Turn him loose! Any more of that nonsense, and you're all out of here. And so he goes and asks him, and Chris Cooper's like, no. I have a daughter. I probably would have done what he did. And he's like, 
I hold no ill will towards him. You need to cut that man loose. And the judge is like, disregard, disregard. Do not listen to him. And he's like, you got him loose. Yeah. So then the next witnesses that we get to see are the expert witnesses, which in this case are the two psychiatrists that are going to testify to the fact if he was insane or not. And we have found out from all their research on this case that basically this is what the entire case hinges upon is if the jury believes the experts that he was or was not insane at the time of this. So we first get to meet the state's psychiatrist. And uh, there's one little legal point here that I was just like, ah! and it was, they talk about this legal rule, which is a real legal rule. Actually, it's the, uh, I always mess it up, but monoton, monoton, McNaughton, yeah. And they keep saying the McNaughton and it's even on the like captions on the screen. It says MC like NAU. I'm like, it's the monoton. It's not the McNaughton. Damn it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm guilty of it too. I've always pronounced it the wrong way too. Uh, uh, so basically they're testifying and there's a cool disqualification that Matthew McConaughey does. Like you've never once basically testified that anyone was insane. You've always said that they were sane because you're, a state man, basically. And the one person that mm-hmm. got found not insane, where's he been for the last 10 years? And they're like, he's been a patient at this hospital. Oh, and who runs that hospital? Me. And he's like, so is it normal for you to take not insane people? And so like he disqualifies them pretty, pretty well there. We then get to meet um, the defense's psychiatrist, who was found Oof, by <laughs> he was found by Donald Sutherland uh, from back in the day at a truck stop, <laughs> and uh, he testifies everything about how he actually wasn't saying all this, but he gets disqualified or not not necessarily but disqualified, but he gets what you call disqualification. So basically, you're trying to make sure that the jury doesn't believe him and that he was a convicted felon because back in the day he pled guilty to statutory rape, I believe it was, mm-hmm. uh, which. Uh, we find out later, I don't know if it's true or not, but like Matthew McConaughey says, like he was 23, she was 16. They later got married and it's his wife to this day. And I'm like, okay, uh, still statutory rape though. Yeah. And even by like, whenever that would have happened, it would have been like the 1950s or 60s yeah. by like, even gentlemen in the 1950s and 60s were like in the South were like, son, that's just too young. I'm sorry. Like, like I'm gonna. You know what? I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna say that law was out of whack. I'm not gonna say he was unjustly caught up in that. Uh, not to say that he can't be on to be a competent, uh, you know, psychiatrist or anything like that. But uh, yeah, you could have picked a better expert. But it's tough finding it's not, someone who's gonna be tough. like finding someone who's like, oh yeah, I'll put my professional opinion behind him being insane at that time. Like, I mean, like, yeah. that's a, it's a whole weird area of the law, like finding experts. Like that's, yeah. that's just weird stuff. And they did it in under a month. This case happened between, yeah. it was fast track too. Like most murder cases, like no, anymore, if a murder case is going to get tried, like, you know, it's like after a year. the arraignment and whatnot, there's like a, a year or two before it goes to actual trial. Cause there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And a lot of just due process considerations. This one, they're like, yep, nope. So this will go to trial in a month. Like she got nothing on the doctor right. or, uh, uh, well, well, not much going on in Podunkville, Mississippi. Like we just got to get this going. So then they, the, the final person brought to the stand 
is Carly Haley himself, which it makes for the best line uh, in this entire movie by Samuel Jackson. But the whole time I was thinking, I'm like, don't put him on the stand. Don't put him on the stand, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you don't have to, like, you don't have to have him on the stand, but his, you yeah. know, his iconic line of yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. Like, I was just like, ah, I love that line. I love that line so much. Uh, it's a classic. Iconic. <laughs> uh, we then Ashley Judd actually comes back because she hears about all the stuff that's happened and she comforts Jake, but Jake kind of knows that the case is lost. He's like, we, we need to get a plea deal. Um, we've also seen, I believe at this point that he wouldn't know this, but all the jury members who have been meeting outside have said they're all basically going to vote guilty. And so he goes to Carl Lee and he says, look, we need to get a plea deal. And Carl Lee gives this good speech. officer second degree murder and we can just life in prison check I, I can't do no life in prison you gotta get me off now if it's you on trial it's not me we're not the same Carly the jury has to identify with the defendant they see you they see a yard worker they see me they see an attorney I live in town, you live on the hill. Well, you white and I'm black. <sighs> CJ, you think just like them. That's why I picked you. You one of them, don't you see? Oh, you think you ain't because you eating clothes and, and, and you out there trying to get me off on TV talking about black and white. But fact is, you just like all the rest of them. When you look at me, you don't see a man. You see a black man. Carly, I am your friend. We ain't no friends, Jake. We on different sides of the line. I ain't never seen you in my part of town. I bet you don't even know where I live. Our daughters, Jake, they ain't never gonna play together. What are you talking about? America is a war, and you on the other side. How a black man ever gonna get a fair trial with the enemy on the bench in the jury box? My life in white hands. You, Jake, that's how. You my secret weapon, cause you one of the bad guys. You don't mean to be, but you are. It's how you was raised. Nigger, Negro, Black, African-American, no matter how you see me, you see me as different. You see me like that jury sees me. You are them. Now throw out your points of law, Jake. If you was on that jury, 
What would it take to convince you to set me free? That's how you save my ass. That's how you save us both. There, you are still one of the bad people. I know you think that you're a good guy, but there's things that you just do without even thinking. Like when you look at me, you see me as a different person. And the big line he says is, you don't know where I live. Our daughters will never play together. Like we live in different worlds, man. Mm -hmm. So he's like, that's why I wanted you. You were one of, you know, because I want to know if I can convince you, I can convince that jury. So we then get into the closing arguments and uh, Kevin Spacey makes a, a pretty standard prosecutor closing argument. He's just like, he took the law Guilty. into his own hands. <laughs> Guilty. Guilty. Like, like I mean, it, and it's very, it's Kevin Spacey in his prime too. Like, I mean, yeah, sure. He's a fucking weirdo and a creep. Uh, and he's, but like, he, he was awesome in that role. Like exactly what you wanted from a prosecutor delivering a closing statement. Yes. And then we get probably outside of Samuel Jackson's single line, we get the uh, the other iconic speech from this from this movie. Jake Brigance goes on and he describes in detail what they did to her. He describes the beating, the rape, the attempted murder, how they dumped her, all this stuff. And then he ends it with. Now imagine she's white. Basically trying to put it in the jury's head of what if this was, you know, your daughter or your granddaughter or your niece. Which is in kind of impermissible. I mean, <laughs> uh, with it, with, I mean, I don't know. It's, that's in a gray area. I mean, there's an argument to be made. It's impermissible, but all right. So uh, the, it's all quiet outside the courtroom. And uh, kid comes running out. He says he's innocent jubilation on one side where they're all cheering and happy anger on the kkk side where they're like that's horse shit how could you decide this uh at the yep. same at the same time when everyone's coming out the sheriff uh decides to arrest Kiefer sutherland for his attempted murder of jake and also arrests this cop which i want to know and i think i did figure it out for myself how they figured out this cop is bad because this cop, we didn't mention it. He's the one who sets up Sandra Bullock to get beaten and like left for dead outside. Yeah. He pulls, like, he pulls her over to a tree. Yeah. And she gets saved by Mickey Mouse, who is this like mm -hmm. KKK member who was always tipping people off. I think he sold the cop out. I think that's what happened is what I came up with. Maybe Mickey... Maybe Mickey Mouse is an FBI informant. Could be. Listen, man, Could like it, it, it's coming out. No, it's coming out that all these far right organizations, like yeah. especially in modern day, like they are all infiltrated by either actual feds or people recruited by feds to join them and then work as an informant. So like, oh, I mean, yeah. shit, the FBI didn't just create this in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, True. this wasn't something they came up with after 9-11. So like, you True. know what? That guy's a dirty ass fed, which I'm glad think, he did what he did. But at the same time, like, what a dick. <laughs> I think it was like in that like plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. It was like out of the 15 heads of it, 13 of them were like uh, uh, informants. And it was like, so was anyone the actual like? 
that's a greater legal, political, and philosophical <laughs> issue that we we could unpack later. But for right now, I'm from for right now. Whenever I hear of some sort of radical organization, whether it be far left or far right, uh, terrorist or domestic homegrown, whatever, and the feds are involved in some sort of bust or elaborate thing, I listener, if you like myself are somewhat skeptical of the legitimacy of how that went down. I think there's plenty of uh, <laughs> there's plenty of precedent to be skeptical. Let's put it sure. that way. So that's basically the end of the movie. He gets found innocent. The um, the keeper Sutherland and the sheriff get arrested, or the deputy, pardon me, get arrested by the sheriff. And then there's a little ending scene where Matthew McConaughey shows up to Carly's house for this big cookout that he's having. And he basically just says, I figured that our daughters could play together, basically saying he's kind of acknowledging like his like sort of like what Carly described him as, but he wants to work on that. So it's it's a nice heartwarming ending. I thought that was a nice way to kind of tie it up. We yeah, don't know what yeah. happens with Sandra Bullock. She's just kind of still in the hospital, but Yep. Uh never going back to Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, and like uh does ashley judd know that he almost cheated on her while she was gone ah you know what there's a code within southern gentlemen and southern ladies especially of the old miss caliber uh don't ask and don't tell all right (laughs) uh so um i that that's the entire plot i think we already kind of talked about most of the legal points really like Uh, the biggest one i had was just did he have a duty to like tell the police that Carly was going to do something? But I think you could argue, no, he didn't. Yeah. Well, and like there, there's a lot of small things. And actually from a legal standpoint, in terms of the Grisham movies, this is one of the better ones in terms of just like raw, like actual, that's an actual legal dispute. That's colorable and makes sense. It's not there for dramatic effect. It's actually, you got to get over this. For example, uh, you know, when Jake, uh, in one of the early witnesses, they had the sheriff on, that's right. And another early witness, uh, and uh, Matthew McConaughey is cross-examining the witnesses, being like, okay, the state brought him on to establish, hey, uh, I witnessed Carly Haley kill my son, uh, or hey, yeah, no, the prints on the gun were Carly Haley, you know, like all mm-hmm. this. And he'd go up there, like, and then he would just start asking, so uh, did your son, had he ever been convicted for rape before and objection and the court's like mr big you know that's not what we're here for that's that's, uh you know that's yeah that's inadmissible you're and honestly he kept poking that fucking pig i'm surprised he wasn't held in contempt after the second one like he was like that was prejudicial shit if the ruling was whether or not the fact that the facts that led to this murder were admissible to that extent you know like I mean, I don't know. I mean, we don't, we're not there for the whole trial, but I mean, it seems like the state would allow that because it allows them to set the motive, but at the same end, they don't want their victims to seem, you know, uh, unsympathetic. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I can see that. And like, that's just an interesting legal question of when and when is that not admissible? Like, how do you get that in? And I think it really does just come down to the court's decision, like whether he's going to allow that shit or not. And he said no. And uh, Pergance, like I said, kept fucking that pig. Uh, and somehow didn't get in trouble for it. Uh, 
but no, like a lot of small just procedural stuff like that. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's also really interesting to see them do legal research in the pre Westlaw age. <laughs> like, like I came in here with a, with a handful of papers. We're going to find an answer in there. And it's just yeah. like, Woof. well, no, it just like, it just makes one appreciate just like how, a time traveler from now with like the ability to bring like Westlaw with him could just like destroy all of you. Like, nope, I am a genius. Here we are. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so getting into our, one of our judging segments here, motion to strike. Um, I have one that I've kind of already mentioned, but in mind, do you have any scenes or parts or anything that you wanted uh, to take out of this movie? I have several. Okay. Uh, because it is two and a half plus so like there's plenty of fodder to go after all right here's one thing that gives me the red ass about this movie you know what talking to you matthew mcconaughey talking to you jake Bergantz, all these haters lining up against you telling you you're wrong to take this case that you're <laughs> putting your family or practice or the risk of others in, in, in jeopardy all these people trying to guilt trip you or shun you or like whatever fuck them like truly fuck them. Like, no, no, seriously, fuck off. I'm doing a noble thing. Like this is what I'm supposed to do in my calling. And I could, if I'm being cynical, also leverage this into a good business opportunity. This, this works. Let's do the right thing. His wife, no, you put everything at risk just to make your ego big. It's like, no, you, you married. This is what I have to do. Fuck off. All right. And it, it also happens to be the right thing to do. So fuck off. His secretary, also gives him a speech after her husband is fucking killed uh, yeah. by these guys. I think we kind of stepped over that because that's sort yeah. of, which ties into my second point on the motion to strike. Uh, but no, you know what, Jake Brigance, you won, you're victorious. You're the hottest fucking Southern attorney uh, since goddamn Gregory Peck and Atticus Finch, all right? Which also this movie's a clear like kind of redux of, yeah. but that, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, cut him out of your life, man. Move on. Uh, <laughs> seriously, like, I mean, the great thing about having your house go up in a fireball is that <laughs> in the divorce, your wife will not get that house. So <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, plus the secretary. Yeah, she was awesome until that moment. I was like, God damn, what a heel turn. I mean, I mm -hmm. get where her character's coming from, but yeah, don't, don't take that shit lying down, Jake. Like, fuck them. Uh, second motion strike. Uh, the KKK like efforts to in, to like frustrate or harass thing, it seemed like every ten fucking minutes there was a new one. You know, like yeah. I mean, even in our summary, we misshipped because it's just like, oh, now they're doing this, now they're doing that. Like, I think in terms of, and I'm not going to critique this in the book; it plays differently. But in terms of filmmaking, I think you could boil that down into a few discrete incidents that sets the tone enough listen you've already made clear that they've infiltrated the cops you've already made clear they have a large presence in with the big battle out on the town square you've done all of this we get it all right but like they just keep going back to that whenever there's like first of all this movie doesn't lack tension like there's still a man whose life is in the balance with a jury okay we don't need you to keep ramping up that tension because it distracts from a lot what's going on and can't honestly some of these things are just kind of heavy-handed like the a, a great example is the guy coming up to the house with the bomb and then matthew mcconaughey just like you know 
chucks it uh like from a prone position not even standing he didn't even get a good like one hop in like he just yeah, it was all it. arm strength apparently yeah, just, just all turp like just just stupid shit that that sucked um additionally motion strikes obviously some of the sexual politics of this don't hold up well but they probably didn't hold up well even then and i think that's kind of the point so i'm going to move from that uh yeah hold on there's a lot about this movie I didn't <laughs> come and think of it uh hmm. all right i'll uh i'll rest and okay. for you uh i mean basically i'm just piggybacking off one of yours i i i thought the the pacing was weird in this movie because it starts off like at like break speed like it's going very fast and then it slows down and it like moves extremely slow and i think the part for me that moved extremely slow was we had all these like you said intermittent kkk attacks where i'm like we don't need to see like three or four separate attacks like we understand that they're trying to intimidate brigance and his family like we understand that they are against this so like you could cut one or two of those attacks and the message would still come across. And like, it's, I understand like what they were going for at first when I watched it, I didn't understand like why they injected this, like almost like love story between Brigance and uh, Ellen Rourke played by Sandra Bullock, but it, it well, plays for the movie. That's, that's very Grisham. You got to have a little sexual tension. In there. Yeah. And you got to have, yeah. So if it's a particular scene that I'm going to cut, it's the bomb scene because that annoyed me where it was just unneeded and I just hated that he could just yeet this bomb and it would just hurt no one. So that was the one scene for sure. But I just think the pacing was weird. There was a little nitpicky thing I had. There's some ADR in this movie that really threw me off. Like there's some alternative dispute resolution. (laughs) No, no. Uh, It's, it's, it's the method when, you go back and re-record audio to play over a scene. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and I can tell like there's some scenes like when he's sending Ashley Judd off at the airport. I'm like, that's not what she's actually saying. Like I could tell that it wasn't matching up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And there's some scenes where conveniently her head is turned. It's the back of her head. And there's like lines being read. I'm like, this, that's fine. Cause you do that a ton in movies. But then when it flips back to her and it's still like the same cadence that doesn't match her manners but that was just a nitpicky thing if it's going to be anything it's going to be the the bomb scene i just didn't like that okay okay uh a couple of things uh i'm not going to strike them because that's part of the substance but one thing i'd like to comment is and there's a lot of n-bombs dropped in this thing <laughs> and it's like and it's just sort of like i'm like god damn guys in 1996 you all were still doing this like whoo like I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, but it's a wonderful dramatic effect to like, oh, that guy's evil. It's like, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, he's just using that like casually and cavalierly. Yeah, no, that's, that's some evil yeah. shit. I mean, it, it, it lets you know who's the black hats and who's the white hats pretty quick, but which kind of reduces sort of the complexity of these issues. But at the same time, Grisham is not really about complexity. It's about telling a fun good story or a thriller so like that's fine uh yeah uh beyond that oh well to your point joe about this movie kind of lagging at times and like just the editing being mixed i agree to a point i mean i think we agree a lot of stuff could be cut 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this movie was very long and it might've been longer than it needed to be, but it definitely didn't feel this long when I first watched it or subsequent viewings. Like when it came out and shortly thereafter, like this was an instant classic. Like it's an epic legal drama or thriller, however you want to characterize it. And like the two and a half hours didn't really feel long at all on rewatch when you're kind of like all right i've seen this several times like Mm -hmm. (laughs) through and with cable commercials no less uh this time i was just like yeah this is kind of long but that's because i can just stream something else now i think that's there's sort of like a you know like i could well i could be streaming x or y or z like it's a attention uh, it's an embarrassment of riches that we have in the streaming age so so with all that in mind, before we get into our last fun segment, let's do to our Does This Movie Pass the Bar? That's our scores from 0 to 100. And over 50 average from both of us means that the movie does pass the bar. Spencer, I'll start with you. Uh, does this movie pass the bar? What is your score? Passes the bar, and it gets a 90. All right. All right. Listen, this it's Grisham, and it's, it's probably my favorite of his. No, it's my second favorite Grisham. Okay. Uh, and Elliot, and I think it's it, it's it was his first book. I mean, it's his biggest hit. Uh, it deserves a great score. And I thought it was made well. It was made by directors Joel Schumacher. Good director. Who, yeah, he's a good director. I mean, and listen, he's he's not a director's director. He's not an artistic director. You know, but uh, you know, he's done some great work. He's done some less great work. Uh, you know, and if you look at his photo on Wikipedia, which I'm doing right now, you actually understand where he gets this sweaty sheen aesthetic from. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it really, uh, really great. Uh, so 90, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, for me, you might be a little angry with me. Um, I'm giving this a 79. You bitch. Uh, I really enjoyed it, but I do think it, it just, it was it was really just the pacings and some parts that brought it down for me but i basically wanted to give it a 79 because you know what i'll give it an 80 because i thank you thank you liked it slightly more than runaway jury so i'll give it an 80 yeah yeah they're different movies they're doing different things and they're both exactly. Christians. i i would i would never say that like these two movies exist in a vacuum you can only compare them the most but where my mind is at when i'm watching both of those movies i enjoyed this for what it was more than runaway jury mm-hmm. okay. but from both of us from with both of us together that's an average of 85 so overwhelmingly passes the bar yeah it's probably one of our top movies at this point. it is number three it looks like Number one okay. is still the verdict. Uh, the yeah. number two is Mr. Smith goes to Washington with an 85 and a half. And we then, really enjoyed that in a weird <laughs> way, didn't we? And then a time to kill at 85. So uh, getting into our final segment, though, what kind of person would X character be in law school? And I have five written down for this one. Okay. Um, starting off with let's go in reverse order so start off with the i'd say the most minor to the major ones so first we got lucian wilbanks donald sutherland the civil rights attorney who is now disbarred what Mm. do you think he was like in high school do you think he was an alcoholic in high school or he became an alcoholic well in law school you mean in law school not high school oh i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) well you know maybe he started really early who knows shit yeah well i mean shit yeah uh no uh 
Donald Sutherland's Lucian, uh, he was an extremely gifted law student. Uh, like you could always go to him for a question. He was very charismatic and gracious, but he was also kind of a cantankerous uh, cuss because he was a dreamer. He was very political even then. Like he, sure. you know, as we, the glimpses we get of his career and references, it's clearly like, you know, he, he never wanted to work for a corporation. You know, he sure. never wanted to like have that as part of, like he was a plaintiff's type attorney or a criminal defense. Like he wanted like he wanted to work with unions. He wanted to work with working people. And so he wanted to fight and which apparently he did several times. Yeah. Uh, so like he was your dreamer slash like ball buster, brilliant. Like, so even if you hated his politics uh, or even his personality, you had to respect him because it was like, God damn it. He's fucking great. Like, like. Yeah. And I think um, I would agree with all that, that he was like the dreamer and stuff. I think at the same time though, he was someone who was, he would have been extremely charming and likable. Like yes. he just has a way about him that you want to be his friend, but he's almost to a fault where he has like those self-destructive tendencies of always wanting to be like the life of the party that it ends up biting him in the ass with his alcoholism in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a tra semi-tragic Grisham figure. Yeah. Uh all right, well, I'm going to give you first take on the prosecutor, Kevin Spacey. Rufus Buckley. Um, this guy would have been a total fucking asshole in law school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he would have been the guy that, like, he would pick apart. He would know everyone's, like, what makes them tick, weaknesses. He would do anything he can to stab people in the back of the because that's just who he is. He's going to do anything he can to get ahead. Uh, there's the joke where he calls him governor, and he's like, I'm not governor yet. Uh, so yeah, this guy would have sucked to be in your law school class with you. Yeah, if you're if you know it, if you're in a law school class with someone's like, well, who in you get them in a corner and they admit that they want to get into politics, just watch out for that motherfucker. <laughs> like they're not up to any good, even if you agree with them. Just 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 be careful. Uh, okay, so then moving up the list, we got Harry Rex Vonner, played by Oliver Platt. The oh. CD to a but charming divorce lawyer. Uh, what do you think about him? What do you think he would have been? Well, first of all, he's my favorite character in the movie, <laughs> outside of possibly Judge Noose. Uh, no, Oliver Platt, he's great. I would have loved Oliver Platt. He would have been a fuck up in law school. He would have done oh, no. the the bare minimum to get by because uh, he knew what he was going to do. He was just going to get out there and hustle, and like he's gonna he's not going to beat you on the pleadings or on the law or on strength of argument, he's going to look for any angles. He has no scruples, so he will play dirty and find stuff. He'll, he's the type that will hire private investigators and do illegal shit to be able to like get your shit, get into your private facts uh, and use them against you. I mean, not a commendable attorney, but a likable enough guy. Oh yeah, so, he'd have been a very fun to hang around. I think he's also the guy that like, if he messed something up or if he got beaten something, he'd just be like, well, get him next time. Who really cares? No big skin off my back. Yeah, no, yeah, he can move with it. Uh, we also know he's been through like four marriages. So like, yes, he is both a, a ladies man in that like he really likes, I mean, he's charming and he has a certain, uh, yeah, certain predilection, but at the same time, he can't keep the shit together. So yeah. like that just sort of, I think we all have a friend or two who's sort of like 
fall into that category of like, ah, damn, he's great. He's fun. Oh, he's always on the move and always up. That didn't work out for him. Doesn't seem to bother him too much. He's just going to move on to the next one. And you know, that's commendable to a degree. Yeah. Uh, so then moving to our second to last, we got Ellen Rourke, or as everyone in the movie pronounces it, Roark, because they're in the South. Roark, Roark. Uh, played by Sandra Bullock, who I believe goes to Ole Miss Law in this because like no, her dad no no her- no no her mom's an old miss grad i think she mentioned that she goes to old miss because it's like a family tradition because her dad went to old miss law or something like that too oh i thought she was at harvard or some shit okay well okay nonetheless, anyway nonetheless anyway i think this girl would have sucked to, to be in your law school class because she's smarter than you she will work harder than you she will outgun you and she will not be afraid to let you know that. So I think that she just would have sucked because it would have been like, Jesus Christ, I get it. You're smart. Everything about you is awesome. I understand. Yep. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I passed the witness. I have, I have nothing to add there. She's awesome. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But like, if you're in a competitive environment with her, you're like, fuck, like I got roar arc. <laughs> like, well, I know how this is going. I, that's the way it always goes. She wins. Anyone else loses. Like, that sucks. But, like, you know, some people are just that gifted and talented. So deal yeah. with it. And then moving into our final major, major character, we got Jake Brigance, Matthew McConaughey. What do you think he would have been like? Well, and mind you, like, I think I, 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 think I actually read this book back in, like, junior high. Uh, but, like, I don't remember any of it like the movie actually controls my memory. So I'm just going to do a little bit of character building for Jake Bergantz. Jake Bergantz grew up in rural Mississippi. Uh, He didn't grow up in this town, but he grew up in one like it. All right. Uh, He was a good enough student, uh, but his real talent was baseball. He was, you know, an (laughs) all state Mississippi uh, baseball player, probably a, I, he, he strikes me as an outfielder, left or right field, you know. Well, he's got that bat. cannon arm, that's why. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's got that arm, and he's probably got a decent bat, decent speed, uh, you know. Had hoped to play ball at Old Miss, a venerable uh, college baseball institution. Uh, and, you know, he had offers at smaller, less prestigious baseball programs. He, he said, no, I'm going to walk on at Old Miss. And he probably fucks around there for, you know, about a season or so. But once he was at Ole Miss, realized, well, I'm never going to really see the playing field. I'm just not that good compared to these guys. So, you know, goes through undergrad, uh, has fun in college, uh, meets his future wife, the sorority girl, uh, decides, so, well, what do I do fucking now? I don't want to go work at Walmart or sell cars. <laughs> like, well, go to law school. Okay. So he goes to law school, barely cracks in at Ole Miss, but you know, he's got strings to help pull gets in, does just okay. He's not by no means an excellent student, by no means the dumbest guy there. He's just there, but he is likable. He's affable. uh, And gets out, he gets a clerkship somewhere with roof or with uh, Lucian. uh, Lucian. And he's like, that's what I'm going to do. That's my inspiration. That's my, you know, and you know what? That's my mentor, and that's awesome. Good for him. And that's he's like, I'm going to take over his practice and move the hottie out of Oxford to this shithole here, and you know, uh, Podunk, Canton, Mississippi. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree somewhat with that. I think 
he because he mentions to Lucian in the movie, he's like, you know, you told me you could save the world one case at a time when I first came out of law school. So I think he is a he would also be someone who's a bit idealistic in law school, thinking they're going to change the world. But at the same time, you're like, I think he'd be the guy who'd be like, do you want to change the world because of just like your ideals? Or do you want to work on cases like this because you'll get to be at the center of the spotlight? Uh, and I think that's a, a critique brought up to him by his wife in the movie. And I think that'd be kind of the guy who was in law school. I'd be like, I don't know if you're doing this just because it's something good to do or because you want some sort of recognition. And I think that kind of plays into your your backstory they made up there mm-hmm. where he always was like the star player. And he's like, he's doing good stuff now, but is it also just because all he's ever known is being the guy who everyone dotes on? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think I think that's a good backstory for him. So any any final well, thoughts on our? Uh, well, you missed you missed one key character. Oh, your 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 beloved judge, Judge Noose, man. <laughs> uh, actually, we don't need to. He was probably smart, good enough to <laughs> yeah. do well in private practice and became a uh, just a dickhead judge in rural Mississippi and sat on that bench for forty years. Probably oversaw desegregation and probably had to change his views on some things as a result of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, whatever. I, I, I still like, he eats up every scene. He's like my favorite. Like he truly is the steam sealer. Uh, like whenever he pipes up, it's great. So uh, as a uh, judge character should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I can agree with that. Um, so yeah. Any, any final thoughts on the movie uh, before? No, you know, it holds up really well. It's awesome. Yeah, it's dated and it's got some, it's got its problems. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's great, man. It, it's, yeah. it's I enjoyed a, it you know. a lot. I had fun watching it. It's like I said, it, it does drag and be prepared to set aside a good amount of time because it is two and a half hours long. So it's not just like a, a an afternoon movie you can throw on. It's definitely a dedicated viewing that you're going to have to have time set aside for, but it's on HBO Max. So it's, easy to stream if you got that and yeah i would say i would say go watch it for sure so from spencer and myself remember never talk to the cops never go to law school and none of this is legal advice or are <laughs>